Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Welcome to Sharp, episode 13. So if you're a superstitious kind, I guess that means that all sorts of things are going to go wrong in this episode. Well, fortunately for me, I don't subscribe to that school of thought, so hopefully things will be okay if we're lucky. As always, I'd like to start with an appeal to your better nature, your human kindness, and to ask you please, if you haven't done so already, to support the podcast by going on to iTunes and giving us a rating. Thank you ever so much to Carrie, who did that just a little while ago. You can give us some feedback on the website at www.sharppodcast.com. Laurie did that too, so thank you, Laurie. Or you can share on social media at Twitter and Facebook, where we are at Sharp Podcast. The list of people that have done that is huge. Thanks in particular to Mel, Mike, Debbie, Louise, all at Pod and Family, George, Eric, Karen, Tom, and many, many others. So if you've not done any of those yet and you think that the podcast is worth supporting, as it doesn't cost anything, we'd be eternally grateful if you'd take a moment to show your support. And interact. Tell us what you like, what you don't, what you want to see more of, and so on. Okay, so that's it for the intro. Well, I've had an intense few weeks. It's been hard work, actually. There's been work stuff, presentation stuff, family stuff, and all while shaking off some illness stuff. In the past two weeks, I've found myself in Shropshire, East Sussex, Hampshire, Surrey, Essex, Greater Manchester and Devon, which means that I've passed through the West Midlands, Oxfordshire, Berkshire, West Sussex, Cheshire, Kent, Wiltshire, Dorset and Somerset. Now, if you're outside of the UK, those locations won't mean much, but it's fair to say that I've been about a bit. And I've got to admit... I feel like I've been up against it. It's been tough, and I'm a bit tired. And I'm not sharing that stuff with you to do a kind of poor me thing, or, you know, I think I'm fab or anything. But I have only been able to do some of that stuff because I've got some routines and rituals which help keep me grounded. They help me manage stuff and enable me to put it all into context. Without those rituals and routines, it would have been much tougher and I might not have been able to do it at all. And of course, I've also got to keep some energy in reserve to do the podcast, haven't I? After all, I can't let you down, can I? So I thought that, having covered routines in last week's show in terms of the start of the day, it would make sense to stick with routines and kind of bookend that subject by talking about end-of-day routines in this episode. Now for me, my start-of-day routine and my end-of-day routine combine to mean that what goes on in the middle is deliverable. The start of day routine only works if I get my sleep, and I only get my sleep if I end my day well, and so on. So why have an end of day routine? Well, according to Forbes.com, they quote Lynn Taylor, who is a national workplace expert, and she's the author of Tame Your Terrible Office Tyrant, How to Manage Childish Boss Behaviour and Thrive in Your Job. And they quote her as saying that how you end the day is critical as it's got much to do with how you start the next day. And how you end your day can impact your stress levels, it can affect what you take home to your family, 
And as Michael Hyatt puts it, simply, the right activities before you sleep can set you up for success the next day. You can read more on those two articles in the show notes. So what do we mean by an end-of-day routine? Well, having read hundreds of these articles, listened to many podcasts, and tried and also ditched many options, I've distilled these down into a few key things which I found actually make a difference as an end-of-day routine. In fact, it's two groups of things, activities at the end of your workday and activities at the end of your day-day, you know, before you go to sleep. If you remember our chat with Mel in episode 8, we talked about the importance of having a clear end of the work day. You might remember that Mel covers her microphone up with his sleeping bag. I'm not laughing, Mel. And then she shuts down her studio. These days, the challenge is that what we call the end of our working day can be blurry, can't it? Let's say if you work in a factory or on a building site or in a shop, it might be easier to define the end of the day because you're doing something physical. You're clocking out of the factory or you're leaving the building site or you're pulling the shutters down on the shop. But if you manage in a factory or you own a building company or the shop is your business, that end of day, well, it isn't really the end, is it? Because you've got other things to think about like accounts, marketing, people stuff, managing social media and, of course, emails. And then if you work in the more recently defined knowledge industry, those barriers are even less clear. The advice seems to be at whatever point you find your working day ends, having a defined end-of-day routine can help you transition away from work mode and, as we said, reduce stress, improve your relationships and many other things. So what's in this end-of-day work routine? Well, I'll tell you. The people from the Todoist app list seven things. I really like this list. It's comprehensive and there's lots to think about. Now, don't worry about writing these down. I'll put a link to this whole article in the show notes. But the seven things in their list are as follows. Step one, clean up your physical and digital workspaces. There was a study in 2011 by Princeton University and it found that a cluttered, disorganised environment impairs how you focus and it can actually impact your ability to process information and can end up stopping you from doing really good work. So in step one, end the workday by taking a minute to tidy your desk, save everything you're working on and close out all of your tabs and windows. What that will do is it will help your future self by enabling you to start the next morning focused and free of distraction. Step two, review your to-dones. Yep, I don't mean to-dos, your to-dones. After all, you have to-dos at the start of the day, and then when you've done them, they're to-dones. The idea of this is to boost your mood and, and your motivation just to take a few minutes to think about what you've completed at the end of each day. And it does give you a, a bit of a sense of satisfaction, actually, just to take a second to look back and be clear in your mind about what you have actually achieved. Step three, write out tomorrow's to-do list. So they say in this, um, in this article that one of the most common end-of-the-workday habits is planning out what needs to be done the next day. And writing out tomorrow's to-do list at the end of your workday 
can have a significant effect in boosting your productivity. The reason for this is that according to Todoist, over 100 studies provide evidence that each additional decision that we make throughout the day drains our mental energy and our willpower. So starting the day with clear, prioritised to-do lists also cuts down on the number of decisions that you're having to make early in the day and that in turn frees up your supplies of self-control for moving your most important projects forward. So to summarise, step three is clear your mind and save your willpower by planning tomorrow's to-do list at the end of each workday. Step four, set yourself up to eat your frog first thing in the morning. In this article, they reference Mark Twain's quote that he apparently famously said, eat a live frog first thing in the morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. They go on to say that um, you can do your future self a favour by using your end of workday routine to make it as easy as possible to get started on tomorrow's most important task in the morning. And if you make that a quick win, then doing that quick win first thing the next day can help to start to give you momentum. Step five, confront the things you've been putting off. Now, we've all got those, um, those things on our to-do list, haven't we, that we just don't seem to cross off. And they make us feel uncomfortable. And because they make us feel uncomfortable, we keep putting them off. Tim Ferriss says in his podcast that the things that make you feel most uncomfortable are uncomfortable because they're important and you haven't done them. And according to Todoist, we then feel guilty, which causes even more mental discomfort. And that in turn makes us even more likely to avoid doing them. So it creates a doom loop, self-defeating behaviour that ultimately ends up in procrastination, anxiety and avoidance. So break out of that doom loop by thinking about what you've been avoiding and what's making you feel uncomfortable at the end of each workday. And then breaking those tasks down into smaller, more manageable tasks and add the next step just the first step of those onto tomorrow's to-do list. So for example, if you're trying to recruit someone but um, getting the time together to arrange interviews, um, see those people, sift through the CVs, all of that activity is something you've been putting off because it's quite a big job and you feel like you haven't got the time to do it. Just thinking about the first step, which might be sit down with the CVs and create a shortlist. Just thinking about that part of it And creating that as a task to then do on your next day's to-do list means you start making progress on that project. Step six, set a time to end your workday and stick to it. Now they say here that if you end the workday at a certain time, you'll work more efficiently throughout the day. And they talk about research consistently showing that the more hours we work, the less productive we become. There's a thing called Parkinson's Law, which, as I understand it, isn't about interviewing Muhammad Ali, but it um, Parkinson's law apparently states that the work that you do expands to fit the amount of time that you've got allotted to it. So ending your work at a set time also then makes you clear on when it's time to relax and recharge, which is key part of long-term productivity. Now, they say in this article that, of course, obviously, it's easy to talk about the benefits of leaving work on time, but actually doing it is quite difficult. They refer to someone called Bell Cooper, who's a writer and co-founder of the self-quantification app Exist. And they talk about how she says to make sure to end the workday on time. 
by scheduling something, in her case, for 5.30 every day. They quote her as saying, Since I'm aware that I won't get any work accomplished in the evenings, it's important that anything critical on my to-do list be finished by 5.30pm. The hard deadline that I've implemented has been surprisingly helpful in keeping me on task and productive in the afternoons. I'll often look at the clock around 3pm and realise I've been wasting time since lunch, but realising there are only two and a half hours left in my workday kicks me back into gear. When I've tried this without an event like exercise or dinner set for 5.30, it doesn't work as well. The deadline becomes elastic and I end up working longer or just thinking I can, which means I don't get as much done. So to summarise step six, make sure that you leave work at a reasonable hour by making plans with a friend or someone else at a specific time each day. Step seven, end on a high note. Now sometimes it is difficult to feel good about your work day if you feel like you've not had a very productive day. So putting things into your end of day routine to make you feel positive about that day can be really helpful. And they list three things you can do where even if you feel like you haven't been productive can still make the end of your day feel positive. The first step is forgive yourself. What they say is if you didn't get to do everything that you'd set out to do, don't beat yourself up on it. And they quote research that suggests that actually practicing a bit of self-compassion when you procrastinate can help you overcome procrastination in the future. Another thing they suggest is to show gratitude. That is a really quick way to boost your mood and your feeling of well-being. So reach out to a co-worker or um, a peer or someone else at the end of the day and say thank you. As an added bonus, it will brighten their day too. And their third suggestion is do someone a favour. So doing something for someone else is apparently scientifically proven to make you happy. So there are three things um, that they suggest for step seven to end your day on a high note. So that's just one example of an end of day routine that has seven steps that you can think about putting into practice. There's a lot there. I'll put the link to the whole article in the show notes, which gives you the science and more detail on why each step is there. And you can have a look, pick the bits you want to play with and try it out and see what works for you. There's loads of other versions of an end of day work routine, of course, and whatever yours looks like, it's worth spending some time on deciding what really works for you. Personally, I have a five-minute version, which is from Peter Bregman's 18 Minutes book, which we've covered in previous episodes. I'll let you have a copy of that routine in the notes too. So there's some ideas about an end-of-workday routine, but I also talked about an end-of-day-day routine. I keep saying end-of-day-day routine, because I can't really think of any other way to express it. Maybe you could make some suggestions on a postcard, please. But I've learned that this final end-of-day routine or ritual has got multiple benefits, and I'll explain each of them as I go through them. So step one of my end-of-day-day routine is turn off your screen time. Now, emails and work can spread into the evening, and we know sometimes that's unavoidable. If you take a second to think about it, it might seem like simple common sense to decide to end your working day at a fixed time. But the problem is emails, research, social media, these things can occupy that kind of blurry middle ground 
between work and personal. And even if your browsing in the evening is entirely personal, there's a good reason to agree with yourself that what time that should stop. And it's not just about giving your brain a rest. The reason is blue light and our old friend circadian rhythms. You see, the research shows that the short wavelengths in the light from your device can suppress the production of melatonin. And this, in turn, changes your circadian clock, tricking your body into thinking that it's not yet time to wind down for bed because your body thinks it's still experiencing daylight. There's an interesting article in Scientific American. I'll share it with you. Now, I'm rubbish at this. I know that I understand the theory of stopping using your device at a certain time, but I also know that I still find myself often late into the evening not doing it. But I do remember clearly that when I was disciplined enough to stop using my phone by a certain time each night, be that 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever time you set, I slept better, my mind softened, and my end of day felt like it came to a natural end. So note to self, I must get back in that good habit again. Oh, and also, caffeine. That can impact this as well. There's a lot of evidence that the half-life of caffeine in your system can mean that a coffee at 4pm can still have an impact on your ability to sleep at 10pm. Now, I try to stop drinking coffee after midday and I move on to decaf tea after the late afternoon and I found that's made a big difference. So, those two things combined then in step one of my end-of-day-day routine is stop the coffee and the device use at a fixed time. Step two in my end-of-day-day routine. Come on, I can't think of anything better to call it. You tell me what to call it. Step two in my end-of-day routine is to wind down. Have you ever found yourself collapsing into bed after a hard day? You start to drift and then suddenly you're wide awake and you can't sleep. It's frustrating, isn't it? And it could be because your system hasn't caught up with your need to sleep. If you then combine this with a nighttime routine whose times vary, it can be really difficult to get the right quality of rest. And there are two parts to it. There's a physical part and a neurological part. Allowing yourself a wind-down period before you actually need to sleep gets your body to make that transition from wake to sleep. Now, I need seven hours a night, so I know that if I'm getting up at 4.50, I know I need to actually be asleep by 9.50. And if I'm waking up at 6.18, I need to be asleep by 11.18, and so on. And if you're thinking that those waking times are weird, you clearly didn't listen to last week's episode. In order to be asleep by those times, I need about 45 minutes to wind down. You know, just to relax, do my bits and pieces, and get my body prepared to nod off. Obviously, you'll know what works for you. We're all different. But giving it some thought and understanding what affects you can really help you get great quality sleep. I'll link a couple of articles for you to read further. So that's step two, wind down. And step three is journal. Now, this is key for me. In order to sleep, I need to have as little buzzing around my mind as possible. Now, I know I've done my work end-of-day routine, so that's not a problem. And I've got a little book that I carry everywhere in case a work thought crosses my mind at any time. After all, our work brain doesn't switch off at 6 o'clock or whatever time we end our day. And keeping a method of capturing work-related ideas 
and getting them out of your head is a key part of a method called GTD. I'll talk more about that in another episode. You may already know about it and use it. But journaling at the end of our waking day can signal to our brain that this is the end of the day and now it's time to sleep so we can switch off more easily. My end of day journal consists of three bits and I write it in my book. No electronics here, no screen, but just a real paper book and a pen. The three parts are, what went well today? What did I learn today? And what do I appreciate from today? Now, some of these things seem similar to the end of workday routine, but this is personal stuff. So it's thinking about you personally. What went well for you on a personal level? And that just could be you had a great chat with an old friend, or you've helped someone, or you did something to advance your self-development. Anything goes, but just capture one thing that you're really pleased with the progress on. The next one about what did I learn, again, something personal. What did I learn about the world, or my world, or my systems, or people that I talk to, and so on. The third one, making a note of what I appreciate, or what I'm grateful for, This is the really grounding bit of my day. What did I experience in that day that I'm lucky to have in my life? It could be a sunrise, a lovely meal, family things, kids things, the fact that I'm not in pain, that my limbs work and so on. I find the more basic these things are, like for example, being able to turn a tap on and drink fresh water, the more I really appreciate how lucky I am. Now there's a lot of research showing that journaling And specifically, the act of working out what you are grateful for can reduce stress, give you a sense of calm at night, help you focus, and it can even impact depression and more serious mental health issues. And it makes you feel good. Trust me, whenever I'm feeling stressed or that life is difficult, to be able to look back over a week and read 21 things I'm grateful for quickly helps me press the reset button. So we've covered quite a lot this week, which is odd that considering by Thursday, I wasn't even sure what I was going to talk about today. I was worried that I'd be sitting here Saturday morning in the studio, staring out the window, looking at the sheep, listening to the sheep and just making noises. Maybe that's a good description of what actually happened. I hope not. But the idea of having some intention about ending our day, you know, like having some intention to the start of our day, and indeed to what we do in our day, seems to feature in a lot of interesting reading, and there's a lot of research to back it up. So to summarise then, having an end-of-day routine can improve your productivity, it can support your start-of-day routine, and it can help you sleep better. There are lots of options. My suggestion is to have an end-of-day routine in two halves, one for your work day and one for your day-day. Yeah, I know. Um, I'll put the details in the show notes so you can read more, steal what you like, and make it work for you. There we go then, that's us for this week. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to put a rating or a review on iTunes or Facebook or Twitter or on the website. That's the end of episode 13. It looks like we've survived without any real calamities. Thanks for listening. I'm off to rub my lucky rabbit's foot, knock on wood, and uncross my fingers. I've just got to step out from under this ladder first. So until next week, 